0: Hey, everybody, c Note here, and welcome to Dopamine, the show that is like a piggy bank. It's good if you smash it. Today on the show, we are talking about the Enneagram, an introduction to the Enneagram. Uh, Specifically, I'm hoping people will listen to this show. I think it's going to be a good episode, because this is something that I've been putting off personally for a little while now. I've been wanting to learn about the Enneagram for at least a year, but I've been diving so deep into the Myers-Briggs stuff and spiral dynamics and so many other maps and models that I just didn't have space for it. And it's funny, like Molly and I recently, we just got like CBD oil to just like kind of try it, which I should do some unless she took it with her um, after this episode. And I took a little too much. (laughs) So it was a little high. Um, But uh, I just was like, I went to the bathroom and then I looked for the complete Enneagram, uh, which is a great book and basically what this episode is about. And I saw that it was five bucks on Amazon and I was like, I'm going to read this entire thing. Uh, so my introverted thinking was basically unlocked and I was really excited to do research and I've read about eight hours of it in the past two days. So it's a long book, but I'm about halfway through and it's pretty amazing that it helps, uh, really break down what the Enneagram is. And then start to go into the different types and the subtypes and understanding its etymology. It's just so much is given me life. It's fantastic. So we're going to talk all about it, a little bit of what I've learned so far about the basic introduction to Enneagram, a little bit of what the types are, what they mean, and what, what is this thing, right? And, and what is it in relation to Myers-Briggs and personal development and all of that stuff. So we're going to break it down, the Enneagram, an introduction today on Dopamine. Let's go please. All right, friends. C note here. Welcome to the show. Hope you guys are doing well and. um Well, today we're going to talk about an introduction to the Enneagram. There was something on my screen, that's why I got distracted for a second. It said I can only record up to 30 minutes, so I have to keep that in mind um, on the desktop version. So it's fine. We're not going to go that long anyway. We're going to do an introduction to Enneagram because I've been reading the, uh, the complete Enneagram by Dr. Beatrice. I can't remember her last name, but Dr. B. It's an amazing book and something that I'm really only halfway through I still have eight hours of reading left to do in the book but it's already really amazing for me to get a sort of uh, get my training wheels going with understanding the Enneagram this is something I've been putting off for a long time because it's something that I know has a ton of depth and I feel like I needed to personally explore myers-briggs and other forms of psychology and all this other stuff first before i dove into the enneagram and this book has been my introduction into it now i apologize for my voice and uh for kind of breathing a little heavier because i'm kind of sick right now but which is why we're not going to take too too much time doing this Uh, i want to explain a little bit of what enneagram is so this is really for if you've never at all you know had any introduction to Enneagram, have no idea what it is. Um, Essentially, it's kind of an an ancient understanding, uh, ancient tool for assessing personality armor patterns or ways that we kind of protect ourselves as we go throughout society. Sort of um, really gives more of a definition of what personality is. And personality is really the armor that we put on as we go out into the world versus the real version of ourselves the higher quote unquote version of ourselves that we tend to want to aspire and attempt, uh, attempt to be those are two very different things there's almost like the social personality and there is the subconscious personality in a way that those are not enneagram descriptions that's just kind of the way that i um that i that i look at it so just grain of salt i'm going to be kind of throwing in some of my own interpretations as we talk about this, because one of the things that really stuck out to me is something that, that this is that they say they use the term armor patterns, but uh, it's in a way about assessing our own personal trauma and traumas that are not necessarily something that has ruined us psychologically, but traumas that have set us down a path. And typically traumas related to how we were as children, you know, maybe we didn't get some sort of love or affection in a certain way, or, um, you know, we got too much affection in one direction or, or not enough direction in one direction. Um, you know, too much affection from one parent or not enough affection from one parent. Um, maybe there was like yelling and domestic abuse. Maybe you didn't feel a sense of security. Uh, all sorts of things that really help identify like why we value certain traits for ourselves and, and why we value those traits as we navigate through society. So in order to affect lasting and fruitful change in your life, it would be helpful to first identify the patterns of personality that are inhibiting your own personal growth and change. And uh, there are nine core patterns identified throughout the Enneagram with multiple combinations of health and wings and stress slash security movements that kind of give us direction. And I think what's really interesting about Enneagram is that in relation to Myers-Briggs, I think people are more attracted to Enneagram especially these days, I, I feel like it's everywhere. I think they're more attracted to Enneagram because it gives a little bit, just a little more specificity as to like where to go and what to do. Cause I think people understand that personality piece. I think they can understand who they currently are, you know, the, the surface level of their personality, but it's, it's really hard for them to, to do the work themselves to, to, go into that core personality of who they instinctively are and who they instinctively want to be. Like, you know, we can't see what we can't see, right? And I think the power of Myers Briggs comes when you can do that and see that in the Myers Briggs context as well. But Enneagram really helps to introduce that concept. The idea that there is this this sort of lower personality in a way, this this personality that we have to become because of society. Um, and then there's the higher personality that that we become when we actually take charge of our life and start to fortify not just our armor, but learn how to be strong without the armor in a lot of ways, right? So the book has been really incredible for me personally, because I'm starting to I I don't fully understand yet the, um, the wings and, um, you know, some of the, the combinations of health and all of that stuff. I'm really just starting to understand sort of the core patterns and what each number means essentially. So the Enneagram is actually like sort of a physical circle and there's a, uh, Enneagram is, you know, nine points and it's sort of, I think it's nine points. Um, yeah nine points. and they sort of uh, circle around this visual. If you look it up, you'll see the visual of what I'm talking about. And the enneagram itself is kind of based off of vices and virtues and this idea of of sins or um, you know different versions of that throughout different cultures. It's something that's been sort of passed from generation to generation from religion to religion and it kind of transcends religion in a lot of ways which i really appreciate <clears throat> but it also utilizes religion it's not it's not about having to submit to any kind of religion but it's the idea of virtues and vices is something that comes from religion in some shape or form is really what i'm trying to say so r- quite literally the nine points are expressions or interpretations of those vices or virtues. Uh, so just to kind of quickly go through them, at least in the the passions part of it. And I did an episode earlier last year about uh, the passions of the Enneagram, passions and sins about Enneagram as a way to sort of find out where you are, at least like a quick surface level, like looking at what you identify with and what sticks out to you as something that you might personally latch onto as a way to kind of find out where you are in life, and uh, just kind of just a just a sort of a calibration point, as it were. So I am going to kind of go through those real quick. These are the the passions. Uh, number one is perfectionism. Number two is pride. Number three is anger. Number four, envy. Number five is avarice or greed. Number six is fear. Number seven is gluttony. Number eight is lust, and number nine is sloth. So I'll go through those again real quick in a in a moment to sort of uh, quickly and briefly go through those. I think in a future episode I'll go through those in more depth and specificity because um, I think they deserve a lot more attention to to really take time to break down. But the way that it is right now. Um, you know, th- those are the ways that you can kind of look, quickly look at it and understand, um, you know, what the focus is essentially. Because there are two sides to every coin, and there's two sides to the perfectionism piece. There's two sides to the pride piece, to anger, envy, etc. And it's really about understanding again the passions and sins part of it. The passions, the vices and virtues, you know that. Something that we naturally latch onto as something that is in defense of ourselves typically becomes something that is actually hurting us more than it's helping us. For example, if we are, you know, living in fear for Enneagram Six, if we are living in an intense fear, that is something that we may try to avoid problems out of fear, but that can often make fear the things that we fear manifest strongly, more strongly, you know, based on the fact that we're either avoiding them or we're trying to, trying to intimidate or over-prepare because we're fearful and end up causing more issues that create more fear. It's kind of like a brief example of it, but that can apply to all sorts of different situations when it comes to envy, anger, pride, perfectionism, lust, gluttony, sloth, uh, avarice, et cetera. So that's kind of like a loose idea. Again, I'm going to break that down further in, uh, a future episode. Uh, I'm going to take a brief, a brief break, catch my breath, <laughs> and, uh, we're going to r- kind of wrap this introduction up and I'll let you know what's coming next. Something I forgot to mention before I started uh, um, going down this rabbit hole is this, this book I'm reading, The Complete Enneagram, which is absolutely amazing. If you're, it's it's beautiful because it is something that is um, informational, but there's also some sort of spiritual elements in there. It's not like woo woo language per se, but it sort of taps into. There's a lot of quotes for things. There are some really nice – she does a really great job with her research. And she also talks about, in reference to Homer's The Odyssey and Dante's Inferno, using different examples within those stories of how each checkpoint for uh, Odysseus, for example, on The Odyssey was in relation to each of these Enneagram types. So you get to see examples within the book that – give you sort of a look at how each type has manifested in sort of those stories and, you know, kind of relate it to how we approach uh, our usage of each of those types in our lives. And the thing that I think is really interesting is that, you know, you don't necessarily, I mean, I think you you can identify with a dominant type, but essentially there are more nuance and specificities that kind of go within each type And you can sort of look at a couple of these and use it again as like a prompt to, to just take note, like, okay, this sticks out to me as something interesting. You know, maybe the pride piece identify with the avarice piece and the gluttony piece, because in a way there are, there are connection points. There are almost, there are triads in a way of way of ways for you to, to sort of learn where your stress and stress and growth opportunities are Um, stress and security moments within each. So for example, I'm so far, I'm identifying. I started identifying as a seven gluttony, but then as I started reading about five, which I just got done reading, I identify that with that much stronger. And INTPs tend to identify with, um, with five, but there are also subtypes that help you further identify because just an INTP five, it's not something that I identify with on its own. There is a, a, a section of it, a subset of it, called the sexual type. Sexual. There's sexual, social, and self-preservation. Those three types within each type. So I'm a five sexual, and I think it's. I think my order is sexual, social, and um, self-preservation, because the sexual piece stands is really about one-on-one connection, not necessarily romantic types, but it does. Account for that. It is mostly in relation to sexual one to one romantic sort of relationship, but it really is intimacy, would probably be a better word there, but they use the word sexual in the book. So I identify as an INTP five sexual uh, subset subtype for uh, Enneagram five. And for Enneagram five, the growth opportunity is to learn about the healthy parts of seven gluttony, which also stands for enthusiasm and optimism. as a way for uh, as a growth path for me. They also give growth paths for the individual subsets, but understanding and researching a little bit of what 7 is can help me sort of understand, you know, being creative and being open and allowing myself to open up for, to opportunities. One of the things that really stuck out to me is that 5s avarice and greed is really all about intellectual depth and it's all about um me personally sort of withholding myself or limiting, putting limitations on myself that aren't necessarily there. So limitations that I've been having to put on myself because of my mental health, but have also created such intense boundaries that I've basically become inaccessible to clients, to people, to opportunities. And that is not good for my growth to basically hold myself away and not be accessible to humanity, right? Like, I have to find a way to give back to humanity and create stuff. So accessing that through seven, through enthusiasm, through optimism, through, um, through more, through the idea that abundance is possible, that I'm not living within a scarcity mindset, but I can sort of grow into an abundance mindset. That is sort of my stress, my stress growth path, growth path is from five to seven. And now if I have to go back, meaning if I have to go into my security phase where I'm trying to learn about my childhood traumas and trying to learn about what happened to me when I was younger, that for me is eight or lust. And lust doesn't necessarily mean sexual lust, but lust means sort of an intense passion for something, uh, something that's very direct, very um, instant gratification, very truthful and full of trust and control. And I, I still have to explore this personally, but there's something within that eight piece from when I was a, a younger and I just wasn't getting, um, the things that I wanted or I was not being heard or etc. which I can absolutely identify with that. I was not essentially getting a lot of the things that I, that I needed out of my childhood. And I started to kind of accelerate through my own process and that's like accelerate, accelerated me through mania. And really the past seven years or so growing up or going through and living in San Diego and basically escalating my life to where I left San Diego and I started to go into the gluttony piece, I sort of moved through avarice and greed and started to uh, realize that I can live a life of abundance, but I felt like I was going in the wrong direction where I um, I was using that seven enthusiasm, optimism, abundance mindset as a way for me to cover up all of the bad feelings that I was dealing with and not actually going through and assessing them, if that makes sense. So, you know, going through this and kind of understanding it gives me, it gives me pieces and places to go. And I think that's why it's so attractive for a lot of people because it gives, you know, we, we want a framework. People want an instruction manual, right? And, for you to still get the most out of this is you still have to like do the work and you have to go into your brain and figure out like what's going on in your past and, and go to difficult places. I think the thing that is true for every single type is that for you to move forward, you have to be able to go to difficult places. You have to let go of, of, of the notion that you're completely in control that there's other stuff going on. So, um, so real quick, before I go further into that, there are, for each of these nine, there are, you know, some of these are a little bit unclear, right? So like perfectionism is is pretty literal, like perfectionism and going too far and, and living too rigidly, um, can be a problem, but it's certainly a way for you to stay grounded and, and live with intangible results. Um, pride is more associated with being a caregiver, you know, pride, which is number two, um, And and being a caregiver is really all about taking care of people and making sure needs are met, but it has a double-edged sword in the, in the fact that like you want people to show their appreciation for you, right? That's the pride piece. You want the credit for that, right? (laughs) So there's the double-edged sword there. Um, The, uh, the anger side of it translates to someone who's passionate, who's a doer, who is success driven and they will get things done and they will show that they are getting things done. Uh, envy is like the most emotionally depth and empathetic of all the types, um, that represents envy. And it is, you know, making sure that you're, you're practicing a sense of optimism, uh, conversely to that is going to be good for, for growth. Um, the five avarice greed piece avarice and greed is not necessarily again about actual greed and like money but it's about like kind of withholding resources for yourself or or assuming that the resources that you have are the only resources that you will get so you have to be super stingy with them and that includes like time and energy and space and everything that you're involved in um and and for me that's you know, that's, that's everything that I am. Like these days, I've been restricting my time and my energy. And I'm assuming that my energy is going to be depleted by every situation that I go into. And that's not always the case. I have to, I have to actually practice that more where I get out into the public. Number six is fear. And the opposition to that is being courageous and prepared. And, um, you know, fear is, is sort of, Uh, there could be a lot of assumptions or hallucinations in a way of like, what is going to come get you a lot of paranoia, things like that. There's a a lot of depth to these, by the way, it's not as simple as that, but practicing a sense of courageous, courageousness and becoming more prepared is um, a a great way to work through that. Um, Number seven gluttony, which again, is not about overeating. It's about, um, it's about enthusiasm and optimism and taking on a lot. And um, you know, just kind of, um, gluttony from a sense of, of overindulging in joy in a way that covers up bad feelings. Right. And, and that is not good. (laughs) That's not good to be a part of, um, as you tend to crash. Like I, I identify with my mania as a part of seven, um, something that I overindulge so much in my twenties and I'm still afraid of it. I'm afraid of going back into that seventh place because it was full of, you know, it was full of that manic energy and I want to get to a place where I can be optimism and I can be optimistic and I can be fun and I can ha- live in that place of abundance without using it as a shield to, you know, block my bad feelings or reframing uh, bad feelings into good feelings instead of just actually working through all of the difficult stuff. Uh, number eight, like I said before is about lust is about uh, being direct and truthful and instant gratification and um, there's anger within this. Um, there's sense of trust and control and just and really being forthright with what you want. and uh, you know but not being so hurtful and hateful in that directness, uh, you know still being considerate and thoughtful, but uh, certainly being direct with what you want you know yields its rewards. And then sloth is, number nine, it's about peace. And peace is really about avoiding conflict. And, um, you know, sometimes it's associated with laziness, but essentially it's more about avoiding conflict and more about maintaining a sense of peace in a way that just sort of makes you uh, sort of disassociated from reality. Like you're not participating in life, right? And uh, that can be certainly the bad part of it. And the other good part of it is actually helping people work through conflict and maintaining a sense of peace and being um, a lovely person, essentially. Um, So there's a lot more to all of these. I will go through these in another episode in the future. I just wanted to kind of give uh, sort of an overview because there's a lot more complications to this. Like I said, there are subtypes. There are three subtypes to each, uh, self-preservation, a social and sexual version of each that you may identify more with the with versus the general explanation of the type. Right. And then there's like wings. I don't know exactly what the wings all mean. I think there's like you identify with one type, but there's a part of another type that you identify with as well. And then there's sort of like the triad where there are three of each, you know, there's nine of them. So three of each sort of fall into different categories of, um, I think it's anger, intellectual and emotional, I think. I want to say. I'm not sure. Um, I'll, I'll look that up in the future. But but the point is that they're kind of separated into triads and, and they kind of play in threes, right? Like I said, with me being five, full of you know the greed and avarice side of it, um, my growth path is to seven. And then my security emotional side of it is within eight, lust. So for me to sort of Uh, identify where some of my traumas are, which again is where I think this is the most interesting from a mental health perspective, is helping to identify where those personal traumas are. And something you can almost take with you to a therapist or someone you want to talk to to work through this stuff, or if you're working through a lot of this stuff on your own, this is what I've been doing to use this. I'm starting to use this as something like, okay, I need to look at that lust piece and identify, you know, where have I not been direct. direct and truthful. And in particular, it's about my emotional state. I haven't been very direct with my emotions. I haven't been uh, very truthful about them because being forthright with what I want hasn't really resulted in getting what I want. Um, You know, sounds like entitlements are being spoiled, but it's really about, um, it's expressing my emotional state and not having that be taken seriously because, you know, I'm, my, my emotions as an INTP have never come out in an elegant way. So for that to be the case in this framework as well, like just kind of makes sense. And I think that's why it's really interesting to not only just dive into like Myers-Briggs, but then dive into this and start to learn other paths other maps and models, you know, the Graves model, which is coming, there is an episode coming on that and other things to sort of, you know, look for the connection points and see where there are common occurrences because there is, there's some of the just reading about the main type of gluttony, there is some of the traumas within gluttony that I also identify with when I was younger. About, um, you know, I had a lot of love from one parent and there was a lot of sort of domestic trauma for another from another parent, and that sort of leaves, uh, uh th- that piece that that sort of leads to the gluttony part of it. So in a way I could be working in two sort of ways, but I think I mostly identify with the five sexual piece, which is all about me identifying and wanting a one-on-one connection with someone that is intense and deep and idealistic. It's essentially manifested in my relationship with Molly, but throughout my past relationships, there has been this place of me wanting to, to, wanting this ideal version of a person. And I mean, I've had the temper that as I grow up and get older, cause like, you know, people are human and they're not going to be the idealistic, uh, idealistic version, but I'm certainly the most emotional of the five types or of the, of the Enneagram fives, I should say. And the sexual version of the five sort of accounts for that in wanting a singular or or one on one connections with people. I love having one on one depth connections with people. Even in the podcast, like I never liked doing Facebook Lives because it was multiple people in the group and were coming in. I just didn't like it. I felt I didn't feel like a one on one connection with someone. I love having singular conversations, being able to go deep and talk about all sorts of things. Um, You know, learn what's going on in someone's life and being able to help them. And, um, you know, same for me, that I'm learning to share that so that I can give that and help with that more. Uh, So, you know, Molly and I being able to express ourselves so wholeheartedly has been the most amazing thing I've ever experienced in terms of a relationship. And uh, that is something I've been searching for my entire life. And that is. Peace is something that has been a through line throughout my life. So reading about that part of it has been like, Oh crap, (laughs) that is me. That is me so much. Right? So there are going to be parts of reading some of these descriptions where you're just like, yeah, there's some part of that that I identify with, but really listen for when you identify wholeheartedly with one, because right now I'm reading through them all. And I read through nine, eight, uh, seven, six, and I just finished five. And seven, I identified with a lot, but then I read five and I was like, oh man, okay, this is even more, especially the five sexual piece was like, okay, this is, this is a little bit more direct, especially since five is connected to seven. That makes so much more sense to me that I would identify with both of those. Um, and I was having a visceral response to eight as well. So I want to go back to to eight. And as I was reading it, I was almost having like a, like an anger response to it. So I, I want to go back and explore that and read that again. But, um, the complete Enneagram by Dr. B go check that out. It's an amazing book. Uh, it's like 16 hours of reading. It's a big book. It's a lot of stuff, but, uh, if you're at all interested in, in the Enneagram, this is a fantastic place to start. So, um, we're going to wrap up this episode. This has been amazing. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be able to read this book. If you pick it up now, I think it's like five bucks on Amazon. That's where I got it for. So I'm going to, I'll put a link in the description uh, for you guys to click on that and do that thing. So uh, I hope this was clear and concise, at least in a sort of a brief introduction into the Enneagram. And uh, as I learn more, I'll find other ways to introduce it and talk about it in ways that are a little bit more segmented because I don't want to throw the entire kitchen sink at you. But I think there are things like this that are sticking out, um, to me. And that, you know, I've got a ton of topics to talk about. Um, and I'm sure more will come as I continue to, <laughs> to dive through this. So I appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening to the show. Um, dopamine.life. If you have not subscribed to the show, please go do that. Please leave a rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and check out my work at cnote.media. If you want to check that out as well, you can leave a voice message here on anchor anchor.fm slash dopamine. And, um, that's all I got for now. Click the link in the description to buy the book. That would be fantastic. Cause I'm going to put an affiliate link up there. That would be really cool. And, um, what else? Yeah, that, that's pretty much it right now. I'm just trying to promote the podcast and get more people listening to this show. Um, I, I love being able to do this to be able to talk to you, even when I'm sick and I'm not feeling well, I still am enthusiastic about doing this. I want to make it so that I can do this every day. So support us on patreoncom slash dopamine. Or if you go to anchor.fm slash dopamine, again, there is the, um, there's a support this podcast button. You can leave a monetary donation. That would be amazing. So, Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you guys. Take care of yourselves and each other, and I'll catch you next time on Dopamine. See ya. Hey, you beautiful human. Thanks for listening to Dopamine and providing your support for this show. I really, really appreciate it. If you really love this show, leave a review on iTunes and Stitcher to show some love for the podcast. You can also check out cnote.media to check out my work and my courses. But um, with that, we'll catch you next time. See you guys later.